A name that's synonymous with coaching is Marshall Goldsmith, author or co-author of more than a dozen books. Marshall has coached some of the top names in industry, including former CEO of Ford Motor Company, Alan Mulally. More importantly, Marshall was named in 2018 as the world's most influential business thinker on the Thinker's Top 50 list. Marshall is our guest today on episode 70 of the Training Business Podcast. And welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and this is the podcast for training business professionals, training business owners all around the world. Irrespective of your title, you might be a coach, a management coach, a trainer, a freelance trainer, a training consultant, a training business owner. Regardless of your title, if your business is all about building a brand and making money from helping people to be the best they can be, I guess this is the podcast for you. Now, speaking of what I said before the music, I read two of Marshall Goldsmith's books and I've admired his ability to create an expert brand to the extent that when the term executive coaching comes up in conversation, at least in the circles in which I uh, work, many people automatically suggest Marshall's name. And now it's been no overnight success. It's taken 42 years to get where Marshall is today, a pioneer in 360-degree feedback. I think that the message from today for you is that there is no shortcut to success. It takes a lot of work on your personal brand, which is something that Marshall talks about today, conceptualizing it, testing it, developing it, how to do that, and then, of course, creating content around that, books, programs, workshops, in order to build your personal brand. Hi, Marshall, and welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. So let's start with who Marshall Goldsmith is. When I think of coaching, and this is true of many people, the name Marshall Goldsmith pops into my mind. How did you achieve that? Well, you know, I got into the leadership development business first and almost by accident. I met a very famous man named Dr. Paul Hersey. He invented situational leadership with Ken Blanchard. That's right. He got double booked. I followed him around to learn to do what he did and carried the bags and he got double booked and he said, can you do what I do? I said, I do not know. He said, I need help. Can you do it? I said, I don't know. He said, I'll pay you a thousand dollars for one day. That was 42 years ago. I was 28 years old, brought up as a poor boy in Kentucky and a thousand dollars a day. It was just an astronomical amount of money. Yeah, and I big said, money. I'll give it a shot. I did a program for the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company in New York. Uh, they were very angry when I showed up because I wasn't him, but I got ranked <laughs> first place of all the speakers. And so that's how I got into the leadership development business and coaching, almost the same kind of story. I was, I'm a pioneer in something called custom 360 degree feedback. And I was working with the CEO of a big company. He said, I got this kid working for us, young, smart, dedicated, hardworking jerk. He said, it'd be worth a fortune to me if I could turn this kid around. And I said, I like fortunes. Maybe I can help him. He said, I doubt it. I said, maybe I can help him. He said, oh, I don't think so. I said, look, I got, I got an idea. I'll work with the guy for a year. If he gets better, pay me. If he doesn't get better, it's all free. He said, sold. There was nothing called coaching then. There was no executive coaching. There was no anything coaching. I just made that up. And guess what? 
he got better and I got paid. The rest is history. And and what, what gave you the feeling that this was for you th- with a kind of connection? Because obviously people gave you feedback and said, it's working. Um, we like what we see. But inside you as a coach, because we're always, you know, taught as coaches to connect with our inner voice and and what do we feel where do the questions come from so my question i guess is what gave you the feeling that you were on the right track and and coaching was for you Uh, i think it's a couple of things one i really i always identified myself more as a teacher than a coach many people on this uh, call are trainers i was a trainer right very good at it i love speaking and teaching i was always a very good teacher and then I really wanted to build credibility. I also have a degree in mathematics. And I always focused on, do people really change? I'm most training and development. There's no measure it does any good at all. It's just all, do you love the teacher? And is your room nice? And all that stuff. I thought, well, do people really get anything out of this? That's why I really got into the idea of measuring change. And I didn't do it so much because I'm a wonderful human being. I was just curious. Does anybody ever really get better? And, you know, I started measuring. I realized, yeah, people can get better if they do the work. And shockingly, if they don't do the work, they don't seem to get much better. And they don't get better because they sit in a room and listen to me talk. They get better because they actually do something with the people around them when they go back to work. So that's how I got into it, more of a sense of intellectual curiosity than anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's a good good starting point for a conversation on the definition of, of coaching versus training. Now, ostensibly, people listening to this are trainers first and foremost, but like myself, I'm an accredited coach as well. People invariably mix the two up. So I think it's no harm to actually define it. And my definition would be that that training is a transfer of knowledge. Someone doesn't know something, we identify a gap, we use some kind of training skills analysis to identify uh, what that gap is, and then we come up with a program to close that gap. So it's almost predicated on the belief that the person doing the training, the giving, has the knowledge and the person receiving doesn't. Whereas coaching is predicated on the belief that I don't have the answers as the coach, but the coach, he does. And that's not my v- version of coaching. Okay, let's hear uh, it. That's the, that's the standard ICF version of coaching. That's true. Which is basically formulated around life coaching, which I think makes a ton of sense for life coaching. Okay. It makes very little sense for what I do. Um, my mission is I help people achieve positive long-term change in their behavior. And not only do I give them advice, I ask them to ask for advice for everyone around from everyone around them called feed forward. So my clients, I don't sit there in the room and say, how do you feel? How do you feel? Tell me this, ask a bunch of questions and expect that God is going to come out of the sky and give them answers. Hmm. Uh, in my approach, you learn to ask everyone around you for input. How can I be a better listener? How can I be better at recognition? And you learn from everyone. So I, my coaching is I'm a coach as facilitator. I just say this, my operational definition is for coaching for me is I help very successful leaders achieve positive long-term change in their behavior. Mm. I'm not saying that's the right definition of coaching or the only definition of coaching. That's just what I do. And all the people that use the other approach you're talking about, how many of them get paid for results? Let me answer that question. None. And they will never get paid for results because they don't even measure results. So how do we measure uh, results? Because I had Jack and Patty Phillips of the ROI Institute uh, on the program last week. How does a coach then, what kind of parameters? Results based on positive long-term change in their behavior. In their behavior. So we actually do surveys from Mm -hmm. an average of 18 people a year Mm -hmm. and a half later. 
Okay. Oh, okay. In other words, it's 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 a circular group around them. I don't make the financial right. case for the company. They make it for me. <laughs> I don't tell them it's worthwhile. They tell me it's worth the money. Right. So you you're actually relying on the people around them to say in this thinking of the 360 evaluation kind of concept is that it's not enough for you to say I've done a good job, but we want to get some proof here. And the proof is, did people around you tangibly see a difference in a range of areas as a result of the coaching? Exactly right. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. And now that's what I do. That to me, there's a million definitions of what people do in coaching. Mm. And they can all be good. Like the, for the ICF approach, I think is a great approach for life coaching. What do you want to do with your life? Why? That answer can't come from the outside. That is an answer that truly has to come from the inside. Mm. On the other hand, if you have a problem because Jane thinks you're a bad listener, the real solution is not me sitting in a room asking you questions. The real solution is go talk to Jane. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So is, is that um, what you would call stakeholder-centered coaching? Stakeholder-centered coaching, that's it. You basically start with everyone gets confidential feedback. And, and my typical client is 18 key stakeholders. The confidential feedback, they don't know who said what, but they get a summary report. The person, let's say they're the future CEO, the future CEO then says, here's what I learned. Here's what I want to get better at. They discuss it with the CEO because they always have to have top management sign off. They agree that, yeah, these are the right behaviors and these are the right people. And then I say to the CEO, this person gets better at this stuff as judged by these people. Is it worth this money? Yes or no? If the answer is no, don't hire me. The answer is yes, you can't lose. <laughs> you better pay me. And you better, it's all free. So as I mentioned at the beginning, y- your name is pretty synonymous with, with coaching. What kind of accolades have you earned over the year that you feel have brought you to where you are? Because I, I, I read the praise from Alan Mulally, former CEO of Ford Motor Company, and Inc. Magazine's called you the number one executive coach, and Fast Company Magazine has called you America's preeminent executive coach. No mean accolades there at all. What, what do you feel were the kinds of things that got you to where you are today? Milestones, in other words. I'd say the best accolades would be Thinkers 50 because they actually take it seriously. So I've been the Thinkers 50, number one leadership thinker in the world twice, top 10 business thinker 10 years in a row, and top ranked executive coach 10 years in a row. So I would say that one from a recognition point of view means the most to me uh, because they actually take it seriously. They actually interview people, do studies, and try to figure stuff out in a, in a very serious way. How did I get there? Well, build a brand. So I've got two suggestions. Suggestion one, be the world's expert at something. Now, did you notice? I didn't say I'm the world's expert at everything. Mm -hmm. I'm not a life coach. There's nothing wrong with life coaching. Uh, I don't help people get organized. My friend David Allen is the world's expert at that, not me. I'm not a communications coach. You see, I have a very clear and specific identity. Mm-hmm. I help very successful leaders achieve positive long-term change in leadership behavior. I'm the world's expert at that. Do a Google search in quotes, helping successful leaders. The first 500 hits, 450 are me. The rest of the entire world is 50. <laughs> yeah, great. And if you do a survey, who's the world's most famous executive coach? Me. Okay, I've got a question. Who's second? I don't know. I hope you can tell me that. <laughs> well, see, that's my point. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. I have a brand. Right. right. Well, you don't get a brand by accident. You have to work to get a brand. And for your listeners, I think 
couple of suggestions. One, be the world's expert at something. Two, invest. Invest in building your brand. Let me give you another story from my mentor, Paul Hersey, of a great advice I did not listen to for 10 years. Uh, I went to work with him. I was making a ton of money for a kid. I was a trainer. I was a very good trainer. And he called me in one day. He said, Marshall, you're making too much money. You're too good at what you do. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off selling days. You're not writing. You're not doing research. You're not building your brand. You're not investing in the future. He said, at the rate you're going, you will never become the person you could become. That was the best advice I didn't listen to for 10 years. And he was right. To build a brand, you have to write. You have to think. You have to develop research. You have to do like this blog. You do a lot of stuff you're not getting paid one cent for. And you invest. And you invest over and over and over again. And, you know, that's how you build a brand. You don't build a brand by just doing stuff. You build a brand by investing in building a brand. And many coaches are fantastic at coaching, but they're terrible business people and they're terrible at marketing. And so I think what you're doing is very valuable. Teach people that this is a big part of their job. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that um, it's very easy to get stuck into what you love to do, which is you know the actual standing up, the sitting down with people. But take your eye off the ball. You're not building that brand. You're not building that um, machine. Um, at some point, you realize you haven't got the pipeline. You need to keep the doors open, right? And guess what happens? Time passes. All of a sudden, you know, you're yesterday's news. That's right. Someone else is coming along and they've got uh, the kind of edge. That's it. And the reason I have zero regrets is not that I haven't made mistakes. God knows I've made zillions of mistakes. The reason I have no regrets is because, again, I have a degree in math. I was very poor when I was young. To end up where I am from where I started is statistically almost impossible. The middle school down the street from my home in Kentucky came in next to last place in academic achievement in Kentucky, which is in the bottom of the United States. This was, I was in the bottom of the bottom. Any change, I, I love science fiction. Any change you make in the past, God knows what it's going to change in the future. And it often makes it worse. The odds on me changing anything and making it better are slim. The odds on me changing anything and making it worse are virtually certain. So you know what my vote would be? If I could go back in the past, what would I tell myself? Absolutely nothing. Leave it alone. <laughs> Just go with it here. And was it a conscious decision to develop a brand around your personal identity? Uh, I'm aware, for example, that uh, Michael Bungay Stan- Stanier, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, he's, he's one of my coaches. Yeah, exactly. So he's got a um, box of crowns. Uh, and obviously he's developed a brand which is, I suppose, like a, a brand independent of, of him. What what made you feel that it was the appropriate direction to take? And would you give that advice to people to develop a brand around their name, their personal identity, and why? Most of his identity is him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know him very well. Yeah. So he's a good friend of mine. He's one of our 100 coaches. Uh, he's a great guy. Yeah, most, his of his brand, most of his brand is him. Would you give that advice to people listening to go out with their name or to develop something which under build, which build like an own, umbrella? Build your, own, build your own brand. I mean, if I were listening to me or listening to this or to us, I, I think I'd like to take away from this that um, it isn't all about the, 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 the material or the books or, or uh, the accolades that's important, but it's what's crucial 
as someone listening to this, someone in the people development business or looking to be in the people development business, that you really connect with yourself and ask yourself, do I love what I do? Because if I am honest, uh, I absolutely love what I do. And sometimes I'm pinching myself thinking, um, you know, I'm running a workshop, I'm looking at a heads down looking at people's heads as they're facing down, doing an exercise I've given them to do. And I'm walking around the room thinking, I can't believe I'm paid to do this. I love what I do. And I think it's true of you, Marshall. You love what you do. It sounds like you do. I know I do. I do. Yeah, oh, I, I love my job. Yeah. I love my job. The thing is, you have to pay the price, though. Okay. It, to me, the answer is all of the above. Do you need to love what you do? Yes. Do you also need to write the books and build the brand and do the work? Yes. Okay. So let's just say someone wants to write a book, and I'm sure that's uh, a great, uh, some kind of great um, ambition to have. I know I do, uh, although that scares me sometimes. Where would you start with writing a book, just to get the first one under your belt, thinking of your experience in that? First thing is to figure out what is your brand? What is a brand you want to have? And answer this question, I want to be the world's expert at, at what? My answer is helping successful leaders achieve positive long-term change in behavior. Well, that's it. I have a brand, it's understandable, it's simple, it's marketable, I can sell it to executives, right? And I love doing it. So you need to start with what brand do I want to establish for me? And then the book should support your brand. See, remember, when you write a book, the book you don't work for the book. The book works for you. You write a book that really helps you establish your brand. I've heard a book described as a $25 business card. <laughs> I quite like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's true. On the other hand, you want to write a best-selling book. Mm. Ultimately, if you want to have a big brand, you need to write a best-selling book, which is another entirely difficult process. So you've obviously some clear water between you and other people. Someone listening to this might thinking might think, you know, I'm I'm starting off in this coaching business or training business, or sometimes there's a um, kind of bleeding from one into the other. What would be the the quickest tip to get out there, to get noticed, to stand out, to achieve results quickly? Well, the first thing is don't feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> I mean, I just did the, uh, you know, the I'm now in what's called the Hall of Fame in the Thinkers 50. Mm -hmm. That's where they put old people. They get tired of giving them awards. So they put you in the Hall of Fame. And the coaching award for the number one coach this year was called the Marshall Goldsmith Coaching Award. So they named the award after me. So I got to be around the top eight coaches. We're all working together now, the, the top eight nominees, which, by the way, I didn't pick them. Thinkers 50 picked them. Mm -hmm. Great, great people. And most of them were brought up poor. These were not people that were brought up with infinite gifts. I mean, you know, I don't know if you know Michael very well, but he's got his challenges that he did as a kid. Mark Thompson, I was brought up incredibly poor. He was brought up more poor than I was. He was homeless part of his life. Uh, none of these people very much were brought up as rich people who were given things. They all worked their way into it. So less, lesson number one, don't feel sorry for yourself. Okay. Don't, don't, none of this poor me. I didn't get all the breaks. You know, make your own breaks. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Then number two, really commit to realize it, you have to pay a price. And no one pats you on the head for doing this. No one's going to pat you on the head when you spend hour after hour working on your writing. No one's going to pat you on the head for doing research. No one's going to pat you on the head for failure. No one's going to pat you on the head and say thank you for any of this stuff. That's the price you have to pay. And, you know, you want to be a success. It's like anything else in life. You want to get in shape? 
you know, you got to go on a diet and work out. You don't get in shape by watching workout videos. Well, you've got to actually do the work. In my coaching, when I, I don't get paid if they don't get better. The key variable for my success is not me. It's my clients. Like if you want to be a coach, then let me give you some best advice I ever got. Work with great clients. You mentioned Alan Mulally. He was CEO of the year in the United States, uh, number one CEO in the world, an amazing man. Turned around the Ford Motor Company. The stock went from a dollar to 18 when he was there. That's right. I asked Alan a question. I said, Alan, of all the people I've coached, you improved the most. I spent the least amount of time with you. What did I learn about coaching from you? He said, you got one challenge, Marshall, great customers. You pick great customers, you win. You pick bad customers, you lose. He said, number two, never make coaching about yourself and your own ego and how smart you think you are. Make it about those fantastic people you work with and how proud you are of them. That advice changed my life. By the way, I'm always ranked as the best coach. I have the best customers. Look who my customers are. My book triggers 27 major CEOs endorse that book. 27. I've got great customers. And these great customers say great things about me. That's why people think I'm a great coach. Nobody's watched me coach people. Nobody knows that I'm a good coach or not. How do they know that? They don't know that. But my customers say I'm a great coach. And I've got the best customers. Right. So someone's starting from scratch and says, I don't have a great customer yet. I've got some ideas as to the kinds of people I'd love to have in my portfolio of customers saying great things about me, evangelizing about me, but I can't quite get them yet because I'm not yet there. How would I get a big name or land at one or two big names? What kind of things would I have to do to prove to someone uh, it's worth giving me time? Excellent question. Number one, work your way up. Nobody starts at the top. Work your way up. You might work with a first-line manager to begin with, but then you do a great job. Try to move up to second, third, C-suite, CEO, work up. Number two, write and get famous. You know, the more famous you become, the better it is. Number three, you work your way up. You really build your brand. You work on building that fame, that marketability. And then number three, if you can, work with great people. I mean, Paul Hersey. I started work with him. He was number one guy in the world at what he did. Mm. My mentors, Paul Hersey, Ken Blanchard, Warren Bennis, Peter Drucker, Francis Hesselbein. These are godlike, iconic people. Hang out with people like that, you win. But you know what? People like that aren't idiots. You hang out with people like that, you know what you do? You pay your dues. Because if you don't, they're busy. They have no time for you. Are you active online in the sense that do you do you have to market yourself on YouTube or do you, do your books do all the work for you? What is your marketing recipe for success? Well, I mean, on LinkedIn, I have on LinkedIn, I have one point three four million followers. Mm-hmm. That's quite a lot. It is, and I, I can't say that, um, I can connect to that. Insofar as it's 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 way ahead of me. So, someone starting off nowadays, I suppose, has to compete with all kinds of attention. Thinking of my experience, um, I can say, honestly, I've dropped things into LinkedIn and I might as well be throwing them in the Pacific Ocean sometimes because there's so much competition, so many people, so many things to click on, like, and it's just actually growing. So what, what is the kind of quickest way to get noticed, do you feel, apart from meeting people face-to-face? Here's the point you're looking for. It's easy in life to look for shortcuts. You just have to do it week after week after week. And when you begin, it's very frustrating it's very, very frustrating. It's very hard to get from zero to 1,000 followers. Very hard. I get 1,000 followers every month just by organic followers. Attrition, I get 1,000 followers. Why? 
because I got a base of 1.3 million. It's easy, but you don't get to 1.3 million without getting to one. Right. It's, it's by the way, you're saying, you're saying this is painful. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> it is painful. It really is painful because the number of times I've written articles. Nobody's reading them. It's largely a waste of time, but you got to do it week after week after week after week after week to get there. And if you don't want to do the week after week after week, guess what? You don't get there. I mean, I was interested in your opinion, Marshall, but I'm just chipping in my own experience here. I would say that of the things I've tried, uh, social media is the least effective. The most effective for me is when I get the chance to speak somewhere and people hear me, people see me. It's not about me. I'm not, I'm not boasting here. But when I have the chance to be in the flesh and someone can actually connect with me as a human being and not just read a post or see something in their uh, social media feed, um, they, it's easier to approach them because they, they've, they've experienced something about me or, or the brand or the message or the content or the program. And then it's a, it's a smaller ask or smaller request to go up to them and say, you know what, I do this, this, and this, and, and I think I could help or, you know, get into a conversation where I, listening to them, understand their needs, and then there's some kind of opening to come along and give them a taster of something. But, um, I, I mean, if there are people out there who are frustrated with social media, I hear you, and I'm in the same boat too, uh, in my business. Uh, definitely. There's two different issues. Yeah. One issue is selling business and the other is building a brand. Okay. What you're saying is exactly right for selling business. It's not exactly right for building a brand. The brand is all about the message. It's the content. It's hey, the books. Paul Hersey, yeah. what did you say to me? I was making a ton of money. I was a great trainer. He said, you're not going to be who you could be. If your goal is to sell days for the rest of your life, you've got a great strategy. <laughs> Keep at it. Yeah. When you're, when you're 70 years old, you're going to be running around selling days. That's it. That's it. And nothing wrong with that, by the way, at all. It's a very noble occupation. There's two issues. Here's why I don't recommend that. Let's say you say, uh, gee, uh, what do you do? Well, one thing I do is I'm a coach. And somebody says, oh, coach, isn't that what that guy Marshall Goldsmith does? Are you kind of like him? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You don't want to be kind of like Marshall Goldsmith. You want to be Marshall Goldsmith. Well, you want to be you. I mean, you don't want to be Marshall Goldsmith, but certainly no, you. My, my point is, from a brand point of view, yeah, you you want to be the brand. If we could go back to well, let's say twenty five, thirty years ago, and you could speak to yourself, and I know you've no regrets, which is great. But if you had something you could change, what would that be? And the reason I'm asking the question is there are people out there, and we're all going to make mistakes, and that's part of being human. Um, what kind of things would you avoid? What kind of things would you start to do? And what kind of things would you turn up the volume on and do more of? Well, I, if I had to do it over, I'd mm. listen to Paul Hersey. What did he tell me? Yeah. Don't spend 10 years just running around selling days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I would give that advice to myself as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because, you know, what? it's nice. And you're, by the way, I was good at it and made a lot of money. Very good at it and made a lot of money. On the other hand, I did not have a brand. So how long did it take before you um, developed Marshall Goldsmith as a brand. How long were you actually training before you I said? I work on building a brand now. Mm. This is an ongoing process. I'm writing. I'm writing my next book right now. By the way, I just got a million dollar advance for my next book. Why did I get a million dollar advance for my next book? Because I have a brand. That's <laughs> right. it. Yeah. Not give me a million dollars for fun, because I have a brand. Mm. 
That's why I got them. I'm still working. People say, why do you work on building the brand? You already have a brand. That's like saying, why do you sell? You already have money. Why are you working out? You're already in shape. You know, it's a, it's a question that has its own answer. My advice is pay the price, build the brand. But let me, let me talk about my hundred coach project. Do that. Do that, please. Uh, I went to a program called design the life you love. The woman said, who are your heroes? My heroes are very kind and generous people who were great teachers that I've talked about. Alan Mulally, Paul Hersey, Ken Blanchard, Warren Bennis, Peter Drucker, Francis Hesselmine. She said, you should be like these people. So I said, okay, that's a great idea. I'm going to pick 15 people, teach them all I know for free. And the only price is when you get old, you have to do the same thing. That's it. I made a little selfie video and put it on LinkedIn. I said, my name is Marshall. I got ranked number one leadership thinker, number one coach. I'm going to adopt 15 people, teach them all I know for free. The only price is you get old, you do the same thing. I thought 100 people might apply, 100 young people, 15 to get accepted, and I'd be some nice old man doddering around with 15 young people listening to me talk. Over 18,000 people applied. It was the most widely viewed video in the history of LinkedIn. Now I've adopted, um, I've adopted close to 200 people. You mentioned Michael. Michael is one of the people I've adopted. All the top eight coaches are people I've adopted. Well, you know what? They ask. They ask. And what did I say? Happy to help. Look, I'm happy to help anybody. People helped me. If those people hadn't helped me, I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I didn't get here by myself. I was not Peter Drucker or Francis Hesselbein. The first book I did was called Leader of the Future. Peter Drucker, Francis Hesselbein, Richard Beckhardt, and me. Who was I? I was nobody. After six books with them, I was one of them. I didn't get there by myself. People helped me. So I'm happy to help anybody. You know, I'm happy to help anybody. If you want to apply for 100 coaches, apply. All you do is you send an email, marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. All I need is your bio, why you should be selected, and how you plan to help others in the future. So to me, you know, it's a really, it's been a wonderful program. And if you go to the, my website, marshallgoldsmith.com and look up a hundred coaches, you see who these people are. You mentioned and they're incredible people and they're talk to them, pick one of them and say, look, you know, you heard this podcast from this guy, Marshall, and he talked about the hundred coaches and you're one of the hundred coaches. I respect, like you mentioned, Michael, call him up. Say, look, Michael, I'm a great fan of yours. Why don't you adopt me? So when you say the 100 coaches, and I've, I've seen people like Whitney Johnson and uh, Harry Kramer Jr., Rita McGrath on your website, are those people who are under your brand, it's just so I understand the relationship, they are coaching your material on your behalf? No, they're just people I've adopted. I teach them all I know, and then they teach others all they know. Oh, I see. We have three rules. No, no money, no guilt, and no expectations. They do whatever they want to do. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, and, and the basis is that it helps to spread the brand or it, it, it's, it's more of a kind of philanthropic thing where you feel they're paying it forward. Doing good. Doing good. Okay. You should call Michael mm-hmm. and say, Michael, I was on this call with Marshall. I talked about how I respected you. Would you consider adopting me? I might just do that. I just might do that. Yeah. What do you got to lose? Nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've uh, dropped Michael a line before I did. So after I listened to a great uh, interview, uh, with him about his book, um, the coaching habit and, uh, yeah, I'll get back in touch again. There you go. Okay. Marshall, it's been wonderful having you on the program today. 
Oh, it's been very great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks, Marshall, for speaking to us today from California in the States. And my sincere thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in again this week in January 2020. Thanks for all your support and your continued suggestions with regards to the kind of content you would like to have on future episodes of the show. You can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, which helps us to promote the show, and to track the kinds of guests whose training journey or business journey can help you with yours. You can check out the podcast, as always on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, or your other preferred podcast platforms. There are plenty of them out there where episodes tend to turn up. And we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so feel free to check us out and to join the conversation. Until next week, take care and bye-bye. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.